Welcome to Mysteries, Monsters, and Mayhem. I'm Shannon Lawrence. And I'm M.B. Partlow. Quick content warning before we get started. This podcast may contain language and disturbing content, so enter at your own risk. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another month. It's February, I think. It is. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I'm in denial about it. I'm practically positive it's February. Oh, fine. My computer says it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have our guest for this month, and we're going to let Cameron introduce herself. Go ahead, Cameron. Hi. Sorry, I'm keeping myself on mute when I'm not talking, so that way there's no background. That's good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cameron Claire. That's me. What do you write? <laughs> <laughs> I write uh, romance, mostly uh, contemporary, insta-love, and this year I'll be putting out paranormal, starting with shifters. Fun. Nice. Okay. Huh. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You do a lot of packages with people or bundles, really. No packages. Bundles with people. (laughs) How did you get started on all that? Yeah. um, In 2021, when I started writing Insta Love, I met an entire community online that's grown like by leaps and bounds. I think I was like somewhere within the first 300 and now there's like a, you know, like a couple thousand or whatever. We just did a Insta Love University and everything where we taught classes and everything. So I have a couple classes in there, one of which happens to be about collaborations. So, um, cause I'm, you know, my background's project management. So of course I had to like engineer the crap out of how to do a collaboration cause I have control issues apparently. <laughs> um, no, but <laughs> welcome to the club. Big surprise. But yeah, so in 2021, I started in collaborations. I did a lot of them in 2022. I didn't do any in 2023. And then this year, I'll be in a couple of them. So um, it was kind of like I was in a lot of them for a while there. But um, 2023 was mostly about me uh, rebranding some of the titles that I had done and then creating a bunch of series. So I have a football series. um, And I'm getting ready to put out the eighth and last book in a a veteran canine series. So all of my guys are veteran canine trainers. Yeah. Series are big, important, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And the right. Yeah, for read through. <laughs> yes. I have, yeah. I have a question for you. What is Insta love? Insta love literally is just, it's like faded mate. So it's, it's just literally like one or both. know pretty much immediately. This is the one for me. You don't have this like, you know, six month long courtship and all that crap, like so within the, their first, I, huh? I have a question. Is it Insta love or Insta lust? Both. It can be both. There's actually Insta love that is a uh, non, non steamy closed door. Um, so there, while there may be lust there, there is nothing on page. And then there's, of course, obviously Insta lust that turns into Insta love. So both. Cool. Yeah. It's like a really quick way to say love at first sight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually one of them. And for me, it's almost always the male is the one that's very much like, yep, that's, that's the one I want. And she usually has some reason to be like, hmm, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <We'll see. Okay. laughs> I just had a conversation with someone about do, asking me, did I believe in love at first sight? And did, how do you know when someone is the one? And I had to say, because I'm honest like that, I had to say, I don't believe in love at first sight, although I do believe in lust at first sight. And I also don't believe there's only one. 
I mean, in reality, I'm extremely jaded. So I I find (laughs) extremely ironic. Um, But I actually do believe in love at first sight. And, but I also don't believe that there's only one. Like, I think you can have many loves. I think that you're, you know, we all mature in in age and and go through life changes and not everybody's going to mature and age and go through life changes with you in the same way and come out with the same, you know, Mm -hmm. lessons learned and stuff. So, you know, I I think that it's very natural that people probably grow apart. And then, then it becomes a discussion of how much are you willing to, you know, fight to keep it together long, long, long term. You know, those of you that have been married for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, you, you know, you know that it's not, it hasn't been easy the entire time. There's times where you have to fight for the relationship. So this is um, true. Yeah. Going on 30 years and we're religiously or we're not, but we are religiously at different ends of that spectrum too, (laughs) but also politically. So, you know, it is work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, I I think that anybody who sits there and says that, that it's not natural, you know, for people to change over time, and and potentially grow up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how can you not? You know, you both you both have the same situation happen, and then you like the chances of you coming out. I mean, one of you is going to be what is that an an automaton? Automaton? Yeah. You yeah. know, if you're like everything that your spouse, you're like, yes, I agree completely. Yeah, no, you don't. You just don't think that's the. Thing. I, oh, we live in Colorado Springs. We've seen those. <laughs> Yes, we have. We won't go into that one though. Right. Don't want to offend people, but yeah. So <laughs> but we will. And the thing is though, even before you get in a relationship, you're coming from different backgrounds. You're measuring mm-hmm. everything with a different stick to begin with. Right. So that's not gonna change. <laughs> everything, yeah. everything you experience together, you're still gonna go off in both different directions. So, but I it would probably be boring as fuck to agree with everything. I, I can't even imagine, <laughs> you know, I'm like, mm, yeah, it would be boring. Yeah. Our relationship's not boring here. So <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it seems to me that part of the challenge is to find somebody that you can respectfully disagree with and be okay with that. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's true. So moving to true crime stuff, you've met somebody that we covered in in one of our past episodes. So who was that? I went to high school with Jonathan duty. I and was in, I went, I mean, he was in my grade. Like I was there the day that it all like, like everybody was arrested. Like the entire school got put on lockdown because the camera crews were outside in the parking lot. Like, yeah. Like, and I didn't me, me, me and me and, you know, a thousand other students, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and just to remind people, he's the one who shot up the, uh, what was it like a Buddhist temple or yeah. So it's actually the largest, I don't know if it still is today, but at the time in 1991, it was the largest mass murder in Arizona history as far as like that kind of crime, you know? Right. (laughs) We won't go over there, but like genocide or anything like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Committed by a, I believe at the time when it happened, they were 16 and 14. Okay. You're old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was a military kid. So he was, I mean, him and I both worked on base. He worked at the commissary. I worked at, uh, MW, uh, 
Afies, like I, I worked at, uh, well, anybody who's military would know, like Anthony's Pizza and Red Robin Hood sandwiches, like outside the BX, like that's where I worked. He worked at the, at the commissary. I mean, he was, well, I can't really say what he was because obviously I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the problem afterwards, right? Like just once I want somebody to ask me about somebody who commits crime and just be like, he was a fucking asshole. I knew he was going to kill somebody someday. Yeah. Nobody ever says that. He was quiet, yeah. mild-mannered, and kept to himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer was a great guy, wasn't he? I mean. Right, super nice. Totally invited people into his house, no problem. Helping people with suicide, <laughs> you know, being on that line. Yeah. <laughs> great guy. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just, as as Pete would hate for me to say, sometimes they just snap. <laughs> yeah there are a lot of us that just snap i mean a lot of them who just <laughs> yeah i know i think i've been on that edge a few times like you know i would just love to take everybody out <laughs> right now there's been moments too recently where i've been like is the american indian movement still going i'm gonna go join aim <laughs> just, i've had enough i'm surprised more menopausal women haven't been haven't snapped and gone down in flames. My before. my favorite, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite menopausal story is I had this friend. Um, I think she's about 10 years older than me. And she was driving to Denver one day. And um, I think she was going to the airport to pick somebody up. She called me from the side of I-25. And I was like, you know, like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I just got into an accident. And I was like, what? She was like, so here, he'll come to cussing. She's like, I just some bitch cut me off and I just said, fuck it. And I rammed her. (laughs) I, my meds are overdue. I need my hormones. I was just done. (laughs) And I was like, that was her Tawanda moment. I was going to say, it's very fried green tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, so that's what the future holds for me right on. Like make sure I have the right car when that happens. I mean, that's the problem is that I, I would (laughs) I would be lying if I said I haven't come close to that shit already. And I would also be lying if I said I haven't followed somebody home who I've had a <laughs> car incident with. And I was doing that in my 20s. So everybody should be really scared that I'm in perimenopause right now. There, I mean, there's a reason why you don't actually conceal carry in your car, right? Because like you have to know your limitations. Of, like, exactly. <laughs> like I might shoot a bitch. So is, is, is it probable that I'm going to do that? No. But is it, un- is it completely without possibility? No. So <laughs> remove temptation. You don't could carry a paintball gun. I could. I think but, that would be equally satisfying. But that's still yes, yes. still legal trouble. So no. <laughs> my my ex when uh we rode motorcycles, he used to carry um like like I don't even know, like half inch diameter um ball ball bearings. Mm-hmm. Solid metal ball bearings. And if somebody was like tailing or whatever, he would just tink and just drop them because you know they hit the ground and, and then it's and if they get underneath your car. God knows what they're going to put in there. If they bounce up, like, I don't know that he ever did actually dropped one, but he used to always have a pocket of them. But he had the satisfaction of having it in there just in case. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Because yeah. the problem is then it could hit anybody else, too, not just the person that's pissing you off, right? But, yeah, yeah. I've joked about making my car like Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max in the hell out of my Jeep and just going for it, like, armor that bitch <laughs> i already have the big grill on the front so can i can i ride shotgun when yeah you do? 
you could you could have you could have the 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 mister literally put like a just like a little you know a sliding ramp rail from the console the middle console all the way back to the right back behind your bumper and then you could just do that ball ping hammer thing just or ball you know ball bearing thing yeah <laughs> slide out ding, ding, ding. get something that sprays like ink onto their windshield from the back of the car does this mean Pop you won't up. let me throw a bowling ball <laughs> Man, or again, I've already said I was on the bus <laughs> when somebody, some kid threw an orange out and shattered the windshield behind us on uh, Highway 24 in Ooh. high school. Oh, no, that was middle school because I remember what teacher that was. She's published now. So that was ugly. He tried to take that kid out. His name was Danny. So, and of course, we as kids had no idea an orange could do that kind of damage mm. thrown out of a car. Like, I can't even... I mean, it was a stupid fucking thing to do no matter what, but certainly he didn't throw it out thinking it would shatter a windshield no. and like cut the woman who was in the passenger seat so that the husband, instead of taking care of her, I've always been annoyed by that thing where it's like fight and don't take, like, I'm going to go take this kid out instead of I'm going to take care of my wife until say an ambulance gets my here bleeding or something. Wife. Yes. No, he was intent on killing a teenager <laughs> instead. Well, how many times do you see people getting mauled by a bear or deer and their spouse or their friend is, is recording it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll help you in a minute. <laughs> this is just good, clean, fun. Well, all the bit, like half the videos on America's Funniest Home mm -hmm. videos were kids doing something that almost killed them, and the parents were like, "Hee hee!" as they filmed it. I was always like, "Maybe help that one." That yeah, that almost went really wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we one of Jeff's coworkers. His, he got one of his videos on there one time and it may they won like the first round or whatever and then went to the whatever the end of season was where they did it and he didn't like win the big one but <laughs> we sent her a video and never heard back is it still on i don't know this was back when it was now everything's on tiktok or it's on face it's on uh, facebook. Uh, bob saget's dead so i haven't and well, he I got replaced yeah they replaced it, it. is it brady Oh yeah, didn't he do it for a while? Maybe. Well, wait, wait, wait. Um, Alfonso didn't Alfonso yeah, Ribeiro Ribeiro take over for a while? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, we never heard <laughs> back on ours, and we thought it was hysterical and it what, but it wasn't a child in danger, so I guess it wasn't good enough. It was the one of my daughter doing the the skydiving thing where they're indoors. Uh -huh. And she's so hyper flexible that her limbs were like flapping like one of those noodle people. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. It's, it is hilarious. <laughs> Never heard back. <laughs> I was like, really? You have to actually endanger your children to get on there. That's what we learned. All right. Or hit a guy in the nuts. Yeah, pretty much. Those ones always got on. I was like, <laughs> really? These aren't even funny. They aren't even inventive. It's just. I always hated the ones where elderly people fell, though. I was like, that's not that's funny. Not, no. They probably are bleeding internally now. <laughs> Like, let, me, let me just tell you, that gets less funny the older you get. Right? Well, now that my mom's falling and breaking shit yeah. constantly, like once a month, something oh, new. No. Right? I'm like, that's really not funny, but I never found it funny. So it was like, there's, I can laugh at all kinds of dark things, but I will not laugh at an elderly person having some terrible fall. Now, I don't like the stuff on... I don't like the little reels and the TikToks of people where it looks like they could be seriously injured. I mean, the belly flop into the lake, fine. But people who like flip and land on their neck and I'm just like, Ugh. it just 
some of it looks really painful and awful. Right. And I'm like, that wasn't funny. No. Okay. But you so, know, part of that is a factor of age, right? Because like we did a bunch of stupid stuff when we were 18 that thank God there were not video cameras for. And now, now we are like, oh yeah, that neck and shoulder pain I've had for the last 10 years it was because I was throwing myself into a mosh pit at 15, 16. No concept of the fact that 20 years later, I'm going to pay for that. So they just, they're just, you know, they don't know yet. They don't know. No, they don't. They do not. <laughs> so, like, speaking of which, every time kids do something stupid online, and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't have uh, a phone with a camera on it when I was in high school or, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> just, I, I feel like I was caught on regular cameras doing quite a few things sometimes, so. I feel like we were born and raised during the perfect time, right? Just enough technology for stuff to be cool and awesome, but not so much that there's a record of any of it. Like, I think we were at the perfect, like that perfect sliver of time, right? Everybody after us was screwed. But I think that also means that they, they have to grow up being cognizant of being on camera more often though. So you would hope so. You would, right. But it seems like some of them are not conscientious of the fact that everybody has a camera. (laughs) No, well, the immortality of teens, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this will never bite me in the ass. So, guess what? It won't won't kill me and it won't bite me in the ass. Right. And my parents will never see it. Right. At some point, it won't matter. I mean, considering the presidents we've had, it pretty much should not matter what you get caught doing as a teenager now. No, apparently it can lift you pretty high. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so some girls at my kid kids' school, my son doesn't go there anymore though, created a burn book from Mean Girls. Oh, nice. A real one. Yeah, and and I don't I haven't heard any updates cuz my daughter didn't know anything about it, the one that's still there. My son knows about it because one of his friends who graduated with them last year, her little brother was in it. Mm. And it was bad. It was bad. False accusation. Bad. Ooh. It was, it was rapey related. Ooh, not full rape. But, uh, and I was like, the thing is, he had proof that none of it was true for what they put out there. But it doesn't matter because there will be people who will believe it no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. So this kid is just screwed, and he's got another year ahead of him <laughs> after this one. Poor guy. So yeah, this is ugly. And I'm you like, know, I all you can do is all you can do is hope that. The girls get theirs in a very relatively soon time frame, so that way they learn from it and like instead of it ruining better people in their future. Yeah, I was just like the absolute stupidity of watching Mean Girls and thinking this is a good thing to do. Yeah, like tell me that you don't learn <laughs> right there. All right, so you're ready to start. I can start. I'm gonna. I because. Everybody loves a cult. So I'm going to talk about the cult that you may or may not know is a cult. <laughs> I know I see the advertisements all the time and yes. I'm like, eek. So Cameron, have you seen the advertisements for Shen Yun? The ancient Chinese dance? No. They were oh my just God. At the World Arena or they're coming to the World Arena or again? The Pikes Peak Center. How do, how, do you, how do you spell it? S H E N. Separate word, Y-U-N. God, don't Google it. Don't Google it. <laughs> because if you Google it, you you will have Shenyun shit all over your computer for weeks. 
Okay, I'm I'm hitting I'm hitting end. Go ahead, tell me all about this. But I mean, it's on the radio, it's on the TV. They have the wrapper on the Sunday paper, and it's just and in cities where there is an actual functioning public transportation system, there it's plastered with posters, like the subway um, stops, the subway stations, the train stations. It, there's posters everywhere. It's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So. From the website, and this is how I know, don't go to the website, because, yeah, every other thing I get now is, would you like to go see? Would you like tickets for Shenyun? No, I do not. Shenyun invites you to travel back to the magical world of ancient China. Experience a lost culture through the incredible art of classical Chinese dance and see legends come to life. Shenyun makes this possible by pushing the boundaries of the performing arts with a unique blend of stunning costuming, high-tech backdrops, and an orchestra like no other. Be prepared for a theatrical experience that will take your breath away. I'm just going to say I'm going to laugh later when, because we're using my laptop and my tech oh. house <laughs> with my phone right here, all my shit's going to be it, and yeah. I didn't even Google it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so, no, actually, yeah, that'll happen to me too. Yeah. Yep. So this <laughs> is supposed to be, it's supposed to be the artistic heritage of China before communism. And the, the, and the very next sentence I have is, please don't Google this unless you want unending ads popping up on your screen for infinity. So spirituality, hooray, do whatever you want. Just don't stick it in my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's how I feel about it. So underneath the swirling costumes and the symphonic music, they contend that both gymnastics and ballet originated in China, and which it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> and they claim that this is a traditional dance, which is challenged by people who actually have studied the history of Chinese dance. Now, this I will say, you can look up online if you want to. If I can tell a difference, anybody can tell a difference. If you look at a piece of a Shenyun performance and then you look up traditional Chinese dance, it is not the same thing. Okay. And I'm like, if I can tell the difference, I'm sure people who know anything about dance are like, oh, yeah, this is totally not. So what is Shenyun? It's a U.S.-based nonprofit they now have eight performance troops and approximately 480 performers that tour globally, um, including 96 different cities within the U.S. Of course, they do not tour in China. They are not allowed. They're, <laughs> they're like, no, you cannot come in. I'm... Is, it, is it kind of like a, a competition with Cirque du Soleil? It's that kind of dance, yes. Okay. Except... I don't, I've not been to a Cirque du Soleil performance, but I don't think there's a whole bunch of religious propaganda shoved down your throat at Cirque du Soleil. It, it depends on which one it is. Shenyun <laughs> <laughs> was founded in 2006 by Chinese expatriate followers of Falun Gong. So we're going to circle back to Falun Gong in a minute. They're based in Dragon Springs Compound in Deer Park, New York which someone mistakenly identified as upstate New York, even though it's south of Albany. I'm like, Jesus H. Uh, okay, it's a northern New York thing. I can't help myself. Yeah. Um, the property is registered as a church property under the name Dragon Springs Buddhists, which I'm not a Buddhist, so I don't know, but I would think that would piss off the Buddhists. Uh, but, but they don't get pissed. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so in that compound, the internet access is restricted. You're encouraged to not use modern medicine and your social life will be supervised and managed for you. You know, arranged marriages, things like that. And no visitors are allowed. The gates are guarded. It's a very private compound. They don't let people in. So it is illegal to practice or follow Falun Gong in China. And some people are like, wow, but that's not saying much. The People's Republic of China is officially an atheist state, but the government recognizes it. Recognizes. It does recognize it. <laughs> Shit. The government recognizes Buddhism, Taoism, Islam, Catholicism, and Protestantism. Okay. That's it. <laughs> they have underground Catholics in China. I feel like we've had underground Catholics here at some point. Christians talk some major shit about Catholics. Like it's fascinating to me as an outsider to watch that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they're So Shen Yun and and Falun Gong are theoretically separate organizations, but they share funds. They have the same executives and their same guiding mission, which is saving their audiences. But it's not entirely clear what you're being saved from yourself. Apparently. God I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now, if they have gymnastics and dance, they sound a million times better than uh, new life churches now. And all those productions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> glad you said that instead of me. <laughs> so Shen Yun and Falun Gong are opposed to evolution atheism, homosexuality, and feminism. Also, they're Christians. <laughs> of course, they're opposed to evolution. Who would want to evolve? evolve? Right? <laughs> they're not big on modern medicine. And I'm like, I don't, why is it cults? They don't want you taking an aspirin. It's just boggles the mind. It, I, I just, that's the piece of it I don't get. Because if God and God's savior there on earth, the one that you are probably doing sexual favors for or whatever, if he wanted you to be out without of pain, he would bless you being out of pain. So I can help you with all this because I have been threatening to start a cult since I was like 17 and figured that's how I was going to be rich one day. So like, <laughs> I need to understand the thought process. I am here for you. <laughs> so all righty then. Um <laughs> Shenyang has been banned, as I said, from performing in China because it is considered an anti-society cult. And the Chinese government has gone as far as trying to influence um, other countries and specific venues to ban Shenyun. Um, a lot of people, and one that we all know, some a, a writer that we all know. So people go to see these performances because they think it's just dance. And there's one where they have they have a big they have these big screens. And at one point there's some, I can't remember what force of nature it is. If it's a tsunami or a thundercloud or something with the face of Karl Marx on <laughs> destroying. Yeah. Things. But the people who go see it, they think they're going to go see this lovely, hear this music and see the dance. But what they don't expect is the proselytizing. And after you write the word proselytizing about 47 times, you can never write it again. Cause it's going to look wrong no matter how you write it. Yeah, so there's no mention made in any of the ads, in any of the um, program, in anything that you're going to get a big dose of this when you're at the performance. So there's a 
an LA-based investigative reporter, his name is Samuel Braslow, who described Shen Yun's background in a 2020 article. So both Shen Yun and Epic Times, which is a far-right media organization, which, geez, those are scarce on the ground, um, are funded and operated by members of Falun Gong, which is a controversial spiritual group that was banned by China's government in 1999. Falun Gong melds traditional Taoist principles with occasionally bizarre pronouncements from its Chinese-born founder and leader, Li Hongzi. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that exactly correctly. Among other pronouncements, Li has claimed that aliens started invading human minds in the beginning of the 20th century, leading to mass corruption and the invention of computers. He's really got it in. Now he's a Scientologist. Um, He has also denounced feminism and homosexuality and claimed he can walk through walls and levitate. But the central tenet of the group's wide ranging belief system is its fierce opposition to communism. In 2000, Lee founded Epic Times to disseminate Falun Gong talking points to American readers. Six years later, he launched Shen Yun as another vehicle to promote his teachings to mainstream Western audiences. So while they're nominally separate organizations, they operate in tandem for Falun Gong's ongoing PR campaign against the Chinese government. And Lee is viewed as a near deity by his followers. And although nobody else has come close, that's his promise. If you do everything I tell you to do, you too will be uh, become like a deity. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. No, is, it, I is it you know? Is like is it an MLM? Like, do you have to recruit so many individuals to get to the next level of deityness? Uh, no, um, you're a lower deity until you have ten smaller deities under you. <laughs> It was so funny, though, because so I go back and I look at the Chinese Communist Party because I wanted to be able to to say something intelligent. And I cannot because I having these flashbacks to high school social studies and my teacher, Ronnie White, shout out Ronnie, um, who was trying to teach us about China and just went so far over everybody's head. He knew what he was talking about. We just he it was a translation problem. He couldn't put it in terms we could understand. But this was, you know, back when the earth was cooling. It was a minute ago. (laughs) I think it's funny. He's so anti his government, like his original country's government or whatever. And yet he hates the same things they do. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, The so this epic media group includes New Tang Dynasty Television and the Epic Times newspaper. The newspaper. It's quite the uh, quite the publication. It promotes conspiracy theories, provides a lot of anti-vax misinformation, and has produced a series of pro-Trump documentaries with air quotes around the word documentaries. Despite, this is despite the fact that they tell their followers not to get involved in politics at all. Because that's our job. Apparently. So the U.S. isn't isn't singled out, though, because they've been supporting far-right candidates in Europe as well. And the papers there do the same thing. Okay. Is there any, like, do you have any comfort associated with the fact that crazy seems to attract crazy? So at least they all band together. Like that just, does that make you feel comfortable at all? I mean, like it's scary, but at the same time, like at least they identify themselves very quickly. 
Well, they do. The problem is they then they keep growing their numbers. And then <laughs> I'm like, there's some comfort to it. Although I still think, of course, vocal minority, right? But it seems like the vocal minority, at least in the U.S., can do a lot of fucking damage. <laughs> yeah. So I've read through, I read through, and I don't usually do this. I don't usually have to read the material like three times to get to pull what I want out of it. <laughs> Um, it's hard for me to distill down Falun Gong because what they say they stand for and what they say they oppose, those are so diametrically opposite each other. I can't get my mind to bend that far. So Falun Gong aspires to enable the practitioner to ascend spiritually through moral rectitude and the practice of a set of exercises and meditation. The three stated tenets of the belief are truthfulness, okay, <laughs> compassion, and forbearance. Again, like <laughs> every religion preaches that shit and then goes exactly opposite. And then they go ape shit, banana sandwich, and say um, mixed races are an alien plot. The mix- what? Say that again? What? I'm sorry. <laughs> the mixing that mixing races is an alien plot. Why is there alien in there? Um, <laughs> different ethnicities get different heavens. Okay. Um, so Lee has ur- urges his followers, anybody who follows his, his religion to touch, to focus on these three touchstones and not talk about anything else when they're out talking to people about their religion. They just talk about truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. They don't talk about hating the gays or anything else. Um, they're supposed to focus on its four standing exercises and one seated meditation while they're focusing on improving their moral character. So they too will one day be able to levitate and see through walls. Also, his other supernatural talents include invisibility and teleportation, both of which he developed as a child. I think he started being able <laughs> look on Shannon's face. is just well, precious. his invisible friend taught him. Yeah. Um, one of some of it he developed at age eight. I think that was seeing through walls and teleportation. <laughs> no, levitation. Sorry, levitation. <laughs> um it does now here's where they differ from a traditional cult. They encourage active participation in the secular world. So you are supposed to be a law-abiding member of society. You're supposed to follow the laws wherever it is that you live. You're supposed to do good deeds and turn the other cheek. That is not probably how they would uh, word that. When faced with opposition, there's no smoking. There's no alcohol. And here's a good one. Members cannot kill living living things to obtain food although they are not officially required to be vegetarians. So I don't know. As long as somebody else kills it for you, That's what I'm thinking. You're allowed to have a good job and a nice house and money, but you're not supposed to be attached to any of them. You're not supposed to like having them. Oh, okay. Uh, Ditto lust and sexual desire. You are allowed monogamous hetero relationships, but everything else is immoral. But anything you do in that monogamous relationship (laughs) is fine. I didn't go that deeply into it. So there's a point where you go, no, I can't. I'm going to have to bleach my eyeballs. (laughs) 
So Lee teaches that being a homosexual makes one unworthy of being human. And you've obviously lost your ability to reason. And apparently, I couldn't even make sense of this. He somehow compares homosexuality and organized crime. <laughs> they're, they're, that would be fabulous, Mob. <laughs> um, and there's the and, idea. And you can tell anywhere they've done a crime because there is fucking glitter everywhere. Everywhere. Um, there's the idea that if God is going to start smiting, he's going to start with the gays. Okay. <laughs> so the LGBTQ plus community is welcome in Falun Gong as long as they give up all the bad conduct. <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. Oh, and then there were the whole alien thing. Aliens invented computers and airplanes and war. Aliens walk among us. <laughs> computers? War. Aliens, war. <laughs> war. Like, I don't know, the first two cavemen duked it out, but okay. Right? Um, alien. Aliens walk among us, disguised as humans to corrupt us. Or he has also said that aliens are replacing humans with soulless clones, with the which the aliens can then inhabit. Oh, that explains so much about my life. <laughs> Apparently, your soul takes <laughs> up a lot of space that a alien can just wedge in there when your soul is removed. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like a soulless clone for a long time. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, he's it's basically like demons. It's basically just copying yes. humans. Yes. Possession, but okay. <laughs> okay. So according to Falun Gong, thousands of its members have been killed while in custody in China. They also claim that living incarcerated members are having their organs harvested by the Communist Party. Oh. However, there's been no independent corroboration of this. There were some politicians globally, at least one or two of them were in the US, who jumped on this bandwagon immediately, but there was no independent verification. And actually, a lawyer who works for Falun Gong has said that only two or three of their followers have died in prison. And it was just, I it seemed to be implying that it was natural causes. So, I mean, I wouldn't put any of that past. <laughs> I'm not finding that part as unbelievable <laughs> as the rest of it. It's China. I, <laughs> so, when, so Lee... One of the things that Lee does is maintains his air of mystery. So when his biography was available, because they used to have a little biography of him attached to the literature, it is no longer available. Uh, but it read more like, and there's a specific word for this, and I don't know why I didn't write it down. Um, there's a specific word for the biography of a saint. And that's what this read like. It was all the beautiful, wonderful, magical things he had done. But there's no mention to be found anywhere of things like, who are his parents? Did he have any other family? Where did he grow up? What was his childhood like? What jobs did he hold? None of this is available through Falun Gong. Uh, and we love those details here. I mean, we're always talking about where did people grow up? What was their background like? So where did it go horribly wrong? It, right. And some of them were just born into such a shitty situation. It's like, not everybody born into that situation goes the same way, but you can sort of see where the, where the bend came from. Yeah. So in 2002 at a Falun Gong convention, Lee, Lee told his followers that his situation isn't something that ordinary, ordinary human beings can imagine. 
He described his origins like this. I came from the inside and came from the outside. I came from nothing, formed into something, appeared at the pinnacle of the colossal firmament. And then from there, I descended step by step to the lowest surface, the three realms. No being knows who I am. You're right, dude. We don't know who you are. (laughs) So... I feel like that was waxing really poetic, the entire conception and birthing process. The three, the three like channels in like, I mean, come on. (laughs) I'll give him points for creativity. Yeah, I I think it was very poetic. I like it. After Falun Gong was banned in China, um, there was some propaganda that came out. The media presented some testimony from several people who claimed to have known him uh, well, no, knew him when he was growing up, knew him as an adult, worked next to him at the office. This was published for the purpose of propaganda, so take it with grain of salt. However, there's nothing horrible in here. I'm thinking if this is propaganda, then maybe I don't know what that word means. <laughs> um, he was a quiet kid, shy and reserved. Nobody can remember him having any special training, either from religious leaders or in the art of Kung Fu which he also claims to be an expert at. He spent several years in the army playing trumpet in the band. When he got out of the army, but before he became a demigod, he was a grumpy argumentative neighbor who didn't like people looking at him. And he wasn't above rounding up friends to jump a neighbor who bothered him. Oh, he is or was married, but I can't find any mention of if he is, he still married. What happened to that woman? There's just, it's it's like he's tried really hard to erase. He's tried to do really what communist China, what the right. Chinese Communist Party has done, try to erase the things you don't like. He's done the exact same thing. He took a page from their playbook. So, I, you know, if the worst you can say about somebody is, well, he was a quiet child. I mean, which is obviously not something anybody could ever say about me. But, <laughs> and so I was just curious what it is. And I, I'm curious about this, not enough that I've actually done the research. Do you think the U.S. has more cults than other countries? I don't know. I think we're just aware of them because we're in the U.S. And the U.S. is pretty I, narcissistic. So that could be. We just we think everything happens here. <laughs> we're like, it doesn't happen anywhere else. Well, well, and then we also I mean, we just have so much. uh, uh what am I looking for? We have so much um, diversity. In, no, well, actually, the the opposite of not well, not the opposite of. We have so much lack of something in association with re- religion, right? Like we sit there and say that we're this giant melting pot and everybody's welcome, blah 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 blah. But religion and politics, but religion really, because even the politics stuff has a religion under taint to it, right? We have no. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We have no, I don't know, but we have, we, you know, we we don't have an official religion, but we do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think that from a, from a cult perspective, I think that they get so much more, um, God, I cannot believe I cannot use words right now. Fantasticalized in the American Mm -hmm. uh, media than um, because of the fact that like, Religion just is way too important to way too many uh-huh. Americans as a as a as a, a tenant of their belief system versus like you know 
I think what it should be for. Well, so a lot of them just want to use it as a big stick to beat people. Right. With, yeah. So. Or a club that you're a club that you're a part of that, and then you and then you try to gatekeep even people that are supposedly in your club out of your club because they don't think exactly how you think. So like right. like you know like mo- a lot of the giant cults that we've had, right? Like most of them have a Christianity background, right? They're supposedly right. all Christians, just the true Christian or the true Messiah or the true whatever, right? Like like they can't even get along with each other. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe they don't, maybe they don't. I mean, I don't know. You'd think the church of, with the England and everything, they would have all kinds of awesome cults over there. <laughs> maybe they just suppress it better. <laughs> There's not enough. England is not big enough to have a cult. I don't know. We have lots of places where you can go buy land where there aren't a lot of people around you. Yeah. England, like what fits pretty much in Texas or something. So like pretty yeah. close. Right. So like, and yeah, Texas, so- Texas alone has how has had how many of our cults? Yeah. <laughs> the fact that a state here is would basically be a country somewhere else, right? Self governing mm-hmm. with the I think that probably contributes to some of this yeah. too. That's a very specific setup that we have there. Yeah, but it just it always amazes me how I, it's just like ah, I'm going to leave my country. I'm going to leave the country of my birth, where all my family is, where everything I know is. I'm going to go to the United States and I'm going to start a religion. <laughs> I just, okay. You do you. Well, I mean, he couldn't have done it there as in, in a communist country, right? Could, well, I mean, and actually he did, he did start it there, but everybody's like, nah. I mean, it's not like he could have started stockpiling money and the government wouldn't have noticed. That's true. And by the time the government banned, by the time the, Chinese Communist Party banned Falun Gong, he had already moved. He was, I believe, in France, maybe Paris, but he was already out of the country. So he knew well in advance what was going to happen. I don't know what the laws are in other countries, but I would assume China would not be one of them that like, like, I mean, here forming a religious organization is like, you know, money in the bank, right? So I don't know if other countries have those types of, you know, tax tax evading incentives i don't think so because we've had what i covered one and i think yeah it was a it was an indian base right he was from india and he couldn't do this shit there and so brought all imported people (laughs) to this this. valley to because yeah you have there's so many benefits having a religious organization here mm-hmm. isn't that an interesting thought from a political standpoint if that was if that was one of the one things to change right that it wasn't it wasn't fiscally beneficial to establish yeah. religious and religious organizations here in the united states how much how much of our other bullshit would change well because when all of a sudden it wasn't a money cash cow yeah you can be a religious organization you can get that tax exemption and you don't even have to have services or do any kind of outreach because we have big organizations here in town that do some nominal, you know, they do one, one week program over the summer and that's their outreach. Yeah. I don't know who they think they're reaching, but yet yet you don't even have to have services to be a religious organization, which is not, which is not to say there aren't religious organizations out there doing good works in the community. Absolutely, There are, there absolutely are, but there are some who are just, yeah it's easy to abuse and yes because again government and religion are so closely tied together here Mm -hmm. that there's not nothing's going to happen about it just like 
term limitations on senators. You know, like it's, it's not going to happen because the people who need to make those decisions and make those movements are the ones who are perpetrating it. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's a downer. Hey, Cameron, <laughs> why don't you talk about your topic? <laughs> I didn't want to go last because it just kind of ends with a thud. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to be talking uh, about yeah, rape. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so I researched Betty Newmar and uh, full disclosure, when you originally brought up Betty Newmar, I heard Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar so I yeah. thought that the Catwoman had ended up becoming a Black Widow serial killer. Um, so I was quite disappointed when I kept looking at her thinking, I don't think she's Julie Newmar. <laughs> and then I realized the name and I was like, oh, shit. So anyways. I don't think drag queens would look up to this woman. <laughs> like. Yeah, I had two Wong Fu in my head in one side. And then wow. I started researching her and I was like. I was not in the right place, headset, headspace. So anyway, so I will say that um, the re- from the stuff that I researched, I was a little disappointed because like they kind of like fantastic, fantasticalized, I don't know if it's a word, fantasticalized her, right? Almost like, I mean, within years of her death, right? Like everything came to a head within years of her death. And when you, like I researched multiple avenues and in videos and stuff like that. And there just wasn't nearly as much information as I thought there there could be on her, which I I found kind of annoying. So, so I'll just do an overview of what I learned. So, um, so she was married five times. Um, The first time was her high school sweetheart. She's only married to him for two years, had a child with him. Less than a year later, she was hooked up with her second husband, had a child with him. They were only together two years and then less than a year later, that was the part that I got very interested in was like, like, she, 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 she. okay, so first guy, she divorced. So first guy, uh, high school sweetheart divorced him. Uh, he went on and like years and years and years later, 20 years later, right? He had married two more times. Um, so her first child, her only boy was with him. Her second husband only married to him for two years. Um, I believe he was also abusive. She seemed to be she seemed to attract abusive alcoholics was with him for two years. Uh, and then they, a year later, she got her third husband. Her third husband was um, in the Navy. He, uh, they'd been together for 11 years and um, he died. So the first guy, okay, still alive. Second guy, uh, supposedly froze. To, so this is, this is another thing where I thought was really, really strange because he supposedly froze to death, sleeping in his truck, got drunk, fell asleep in his truck, froze to death, parked on a pier. Okay. This, that statement is from her. Like where the frick are the medical records? Where is the police report? Nothing. Question. What years are these taking place? Uh, They started. Okay. So I don't have the years written down specifically, but they started in the fifties. So she was born in 31. Okay. And so she married her first one, uh, like the end of the forties, beginning of the fifties. Right. And then the first three were in like by the end of six fifty, right. Was okay. her third husband. Right. Or maybe the sixties. So she ended up becoming a hairdresser. And then it also, I didn't write this down, but I think she, she graduated high school. The first guy was in Ohio. I think the second guy, James was in New York. 
So she bounced all over the place too. The third guy I believe was in Florida, Richard. He was in the Navy. Um, they, they moved around for quite a few years. She had two kids. So that was another thing. So these are the things that I like glommed on to, especially like I was trying to tie in my whole like romance side because I was like, all right, so let's, let's look at, let's look at what kind of skills Betty had. Right. Cause like how she like, you know, less than a year later, hooking in her next husband and stuff. Right. So first guy's alive. Second guy, according to her, right. And I just found that very strange that there was no like police report or anything to corroborate her story. It was just like, he just died. She, she's the one telling people he died. Third guy, 11 years. He originally, it was ruled a suicide. So that he was still in the Navy at the time because NCIS is the one that picked up the investigation from local PD. Um, they were, her two children are in another room. I think it was 13 and 11. So she also like popped out babies really quick as soon as she like hooked up with whomever. This guy, she never had a baby with, but both of his, both of her children. So, um, they were in another room. They hear mom and dad arguing, gunfire. He had, so there, there was all of these. So it was ruled a suicide. Even with an argument. Okay. Yeah. On the flip side, Florida PD had like um, one gunshot in the side. And CIS had two gunshots, which the, the, you know, the crime theory people and stuff were like, mm. like, if you try to commit suicide, you don't see people double tapping themselves because <laughs> your body like immediately like reacts. Like as soon as you do it, your body's like, bling, bling gun, like, mm-hmm. right. And also there's the whole shit and then you can't do it again anyway. Right. Cause the reality has just hit you. So there's. Yeah. So many reasons why that's not, that's atypical. (laughs) Right. So NCIS had two gunshots, but they they still ruled it a suicide. And because it was ruled a suicide, um, they threw the records away after a couple of years. So like the records didn't exist. So you have to think, you have to understand that like her last husband. So this, this is in the fifties and sixties. Her, uh, actually this would have been in the, I think seventies because they were married 11 years. Uh-huh. So at this point, you're looking at 11, 15 years, um, 15 years from like the early 50s. So, you know, mid 60s uh-huh. um, that this guy, God, you know, my math might be off a little bit because it just doesn't feel like it was that old. But all of the records and everything associated with that. So by the time that by the time that her last husband died, which was in 2008 wow. and like stuff started happening, like, you know, the first three were like, OK, so. Yeah, he died in the mid 70s. I know that because her first husband. So this is I think that she's getting a little bit of a raw rap because I really don't think she had any anything to do with the first two for sure. Um, Clarence, her first husband, who had been married two times after her. He got killed in a supposable robbery at his auto shop. And by the way, two of her ex-husbands were mechanics. Interesting. Um, she definitely had a type, right? Um, my girl had a type and she knew how to work it somehow because they all married her very quickly. Okay. So, which I do, I even have a little note that I was like, so her, first husband, huh? yeah, her first husband who's ages, she, she's, he's married to other people since then he gets killed and they're looking at, they're like, let's just blame her. That's and one of her of, five. 
that they're yeah. calling. So the entire thing about her was, is she a black widow or is she the most unluckiest woman in love? And I think that's a little bit of both. Right. So the, uh, so third guy's dead. Oh, so I'm sorry. So then the first guy dies in 1970. And so that was who her son was with. So he oh. dies 15, 20, almost 20 years after they get divorced, he dies. And then uh, a couple years later, it looks like her third husband, Richard, the Navy guy dies. So then three years later, she meets Gentry. So this is where it's, this is where we start getting into the actual people, people. Um, but I just felt like the fact that they just didn't have a ton of information on the first three was really lackluster considering the fact that they're trying to pin her as this like black widow. Mm-hmm. And yet three of them, I'm not like, maybe, maybe not like maybe the third guy, maybe, I don't know. That's so something Gentry, we learn all the time. Like really? Yeah. And it's the mm-hmm. less information that there is, it's like, mm, the less true it probably is for that part. Right. And maybe later all that stuff is legitimate and they're just trying so hard to make it more than it is. Yeah. yeah. So the fourth husband, so I, you know, <laughs> I was really looking at this and trying to like, like look at like the progression of her. Right. So supposedly she was born, pretty, pretty poor. The only way she was going to make it out of her situation was to marry well. And, and then she gave it a, she kept giving it a try. It wasn't working out the first couple of times. Um, third time, 11 years. I mean, if you're a black widow, you can stick it out for 11 years with somebody. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just felt like that was like, yeah. Well, depending uh, on what his job in the Navy was, he wasn't around all that much. It's a possibility. Yeah. yeah that's a possibility. You know, so really they were only together half that time if he was deployed six months at a time. So and supposedly he was an alcoholic and he was abusive. So maybe she was able to put up with it for. So I I also looked at this as an age thing. Right. So the first two husbands and even the third husband, she's in her 20s. By the time that she gets by the time that he goes bye bye, she's in her mid 30s, at least. Right. With two kids, two teenage kids. Um, and then she meets the fourth husband, Gentry. I did not write down can't remember what Tom <laughs> might be Thomas Gentry, I think. Okay. So then they have, that's who she has her third kid with Kelly. Okay. He was also military. He was army. He was also financially secure. He, he ended up, they did 18 years together. He wow. retired. They moved to North Carolina where his family gave him like a house. So they had a house. They had his retirement coming in he also had a job. She was a hairdresser. You know, they have a kid together. And so, so this is where we start getting into the, eh, maybe she was a black widow. I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with the black widow title as much as I think like um, at this point, she's in her forties to fifties. I, I feel like her um, taking shit off of people is just kind of running thin. Menopause is taking <laughs> in. You know That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just saying back around. Right. So apparently at the 18, you know, at close to 18 years together, uh, the marriage was just irreparable at this point. It wasn't good. He was having an affair. And what based upon things that were said, I am going to guesstimate I'm doing my own sleuthing. I think that she knew that he was getting ready to leave her ass and he had a house and he had retirement. And he had an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. So he, so she was out of town. She was three hours away in Augusta, Georgia, getting their car fixed, their truck fixed. And he was shot like six times entering their house on a supposable robbery. So there was just a lot associated with that where it was like, mm, mm, I don't know. Right. Um, the fact that he was having an affair, the fact that they, you know, that he had told his brother. And so the whole Black Widow thing came about because his brother spent like 20 years begging the police to reopen the case, to look into it. Like this was not a robbery. She's evil. And he was, wow. Every video clip I saw of him, whoo, that is a man that is, that hates that woman. And he had no problem telling everybody what he thought of her. Like, like. ABC News, he was just like, I was like, ooh. (laughs) I I could get behind that. Right. I would would do that. If I remember correctly, he died in the 90s. Early 90s, I think. The brother or the the husband? The husband, Gentry. The fourth husband died in the early 90s. So this is this goes back to that whole Black Widow thing. Like I have a hard time with the Black Widow thing because I just feel like if it's not like within a couple years over and over and over again, like. Well, that's the question, though. If we, I don't know enough about Black Widows to say if normally they stick it out for a while, maybe things are they stay until things aren't good anymore. Or yeah, something that's like what that. I was thinking. Maybe she really wanted the marriages to work. Right. Because I think we define Black Widow by what we've seen in movies forever and of course that was the one after another after another because they're going through this in a systemized way and they're doing it purely for that but I don't know that that's the right definition in reality so that actually makes me realize where my gap in knowledge is right there like it's something I'd be interested in knowing more I will tell you the only Black Widow that I keep seeing in my head you guys are gonna laugh is literally um and I can't remember what her character's name is at the moment in my head but um the character from the Adams family <laughs> Fester's <laughs> Fester's oh, woman. Right. Like, oh, that's yeah. the only one I keep thinking of. And she, you know, she killed him off quick. So, you know, that's my standard for Black Widow. Joan Kuzak. Oh, she was yes. really Yes. I just saw that not too long ago. What was her name? Oh, I just said Joan. No, it wasn't Joan. It was like it was something like that, like Betty. It was something something a fairly common name because I can I can see Olivia Dukakis' character going, really? I could, you know, you've separated us. You've done this. You've done that. All of that I could forgive. But pastels? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And she was so stylized. Her presentation for that movie was so, it was so not Joan Cusack. They're what we think of as Joan Cusack. Blonde. Blonde and the makeup and the the form-fitting. I mean, she was gorgeous. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so now we're moving on. Five years later, after uh, Gentry dies, uh, we're on to the fifth husband. And at this point, I think she's back in Florida. So, like, she was in Florida, met the third husband, the fourth husband, and then moved to North Carolina with the fourth husband. And now she's back in Florida, if I, if I remember correctly. And this guy, Newmar, this is John Newmar, um, he uh, apparently, I for some reason I could not find anywhere what he actually did. I don't know if he was military as well. Um, she seemed to work at barbershops a lot, which, or the hair salons on military installations, or at least that's what it, it gave me the impression of where she owned her own. Cause I think that's how she met a lot of these guys was cutting hair. So um, 
he apparently, he had a couple kids on his own um, before they met. And, um, you know, he was older when they met. So I think that, I think at this point, she's going to be in her fifties in her. <laughs> she's going to be in her, uh, she's going to be in her early sixties. And he was, I think in his late sixties um, when they, when they hooked up and then um, they were together for 16 years. And during that time, and I think the kids were out of the house by then and everything. So he was, you know, like older, obviously. Um, and apparently he was, you know, he had like, you know, he had himself set up. He had a retirement coming in. He had everything. All was good. And over a 16 year span, at some point, maybe towards the end, they had to declare bankruptcy. They had hundreds of thousands of dollars, I think, in credit card debt. Um and this is the part that was really, really interesting. Apparently she was a part of a Ponzi scheme where this is like, she was in essence getting friends and family and everything to give her a hundred dollars. And that hundred dollars would turn into a hundred thousand dollars to help like this rich European family's medical fees or something. The entire thing sounded so ridiculous that the fact that anybody believed it, I kind of was like, eh, you deserve to lose that hundred bucks. <laughs> Because every time I heard it said, I was like, what? It doesn't even sound plausible. But. So they were married 16 years. Well, he, towards the end of that, like I said, severe debt. Uh, um, so there's, but nothing about their lifestyle showed any kind of extravagance. There was no, nobody can understand where the hell the money went. So he died of like, sepsis maybe and something he died of like a combination of things but in essence it really looked like a like there's a possibility it could have been poison related so when he died i was gonna say if she could kill someone else through sepsis that's a trick right that's i mean that takes some doing yeah i'm pretty sure they said sepsis um i'll have to look it up again but they, uh, but it was like, a, it was like a combination of things, you know, his body, his organs and everything were giving out, but he had been, re- he had been relatively he- healthy before that. So, um, you know, the family was immediately like, mm, and the family hated her. Like, I guess the kids and stuff were like, yeah, so she's tried to take out insurance policies on us. Oh yeah. Okay. So somewhere within here, by the way, her first husband, Clarence, when he died in 1970, in 1985, their child, Gary, the only boy she had committed suicide and she got a $10,000 insurance policy paid out to her, even though he was married. A lot of them kill off their kids too. Well, and then uh, there was, like I said, there were other ones like his, like her in essence, stepchildren or whatever, like were like, yeah, she wanted to open up an insurance policy against me and put herself as the beneficiary and da 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 da. And it was like all of this stuff. So all of this stuff, of course, none of this, is being talked about until after, right? So he dies. He dies. She immediately, even though he was a Catholic and he had a burial plot, she immediately had him cremated. Uh-huh. Ah, that's suspicious. <laughs> that's always right. a red flag. <laughs> and she didn't tell his kids that he died. Oh, oh that sucks. They yeah. found out because it was listed, I think, in the newspaper. Oh, that's harsh. So then they find out and then they find out, oh, daddy doesn't, nothing of daddy exists anymore because daddy uh, was cremated. So all of this is going on. And then the brother of the fourth husband was like, 
no, 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 no. And they finally were like, all right, we're going to reopen this. They reopened this. And I think it's because of the death of the fifth husband that they were like, maybe we should be looking at this again, right? So they reopen it and they find that she had solicited up to three people within weeks of her, of the fourth husband's death to kill him. One of which was a ex-cop. How the hell he was ever, like, it wasn't like made a big deal at that time. So like, there is like literally... 50 years of bumbling of horrible police work being accomplished to like, you know, get us to 2008 when she was finally uh, brought up on charges and pulled into jail. Right. So she ended up dying in the very beginning of 2011 of cancer. I don't remember what kind, but of cancer. So she died before she actually went to trial. Wow. She died completely like never, ever admitting, like never admitting anything, saying that, that she loved her husband's um, it, well, she, and she was actually, so here's another thing. She's a little gangster, man, because like, it kind of goes back to that whole, like, um, I think like as she got older, like she, it, it was for love in the beginning. And then as she got older, she was kind of like, like, I'm not putting up with this. Cause she was kind of gangster in a lot of ways. Like the reason why the, brother of the fourth husband was so adamant from day one that she is because she came, he got shot in his house. And then she came back from um, Augusta, Georgia, like a couple hours later. Right. And she didn't cry. She didn't freak out. She didn't nothing about the fact that her husband was dead. Right. Like she had no emotional thing. Now she said that she had taken a volume. And so she was just like space cadetted, I guess. But so, yeah, so they never, they don't know. They don't know if she's just the most unlucky woman ever or if she is a, really a black widow. I feel like there is a good possibility that the last three, she might have had something, if not everything to do with them. Um, but if she did, she wasn't really good at it because, so like the first <laughs> husband, she didn't get no money off of the first husband. Like, I mean, well, they'd been divorced for 20 years. So uh -huh. the second husband, she got nothing. The third husband, she got nothing. So she didn't start seeing any kind of money until her son died in 85 and then gentry she got the house that she sold immediately and she got his you know whatever his military pension or whatever was there for her afterwards and then the fifth husband they were so far in debt there was nothing now huh. she put them in debt now here's what here's another interesting thing that i thought was very frustrating because there was no follow-up on this after she died <laughs> When she was arrested and, and put in jail, her lawyer requested like, uh, you know, lesser, like, you know, come on, she's in her late, she's in her, like when she was arrested, she's 77, wow. right? Like by the time she was finally arrested, she was 77. So they're like, you know, like, let's, can we, can we get her out at least on bail? Can we get her out? Da, 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 da. The prosecution found and presented 28 aliases, passports and IDs in her, of hers. That they found. What was she doing with them? <laughs> no idea because nobody has followed up on the investigation. It makes because me crazy. She's dead, so nobody's ever going to follow up on it unless there's an whoops, unless there's an open crime they think they can tie her to. And even then, they're not going to spend their time on it because you can't prosecute her. 
I know, but, but that was not satisfying to me. So I would like, yeah, Thank you why would you go down this rabbit hole that I will never get satisfaction from now? <laughs> how many, how many fake IDs? 28? 28 aliases. They found yeah, passports yeah. and IDs. Who could keep that many identities straight? Well, and if you look at that and then you look at the Ponzi schemes and then you look at all of this money that disappeared and it was not invested into the home or into extravagant things. What was she doing with her money? Right. And where was he if she was <laughs> was she at home ever? What what yeah. Well, she has two daughters and both of them just like completely believe that their mother was innocent and stuff like that. But like part of me is like, man, start doing money like in in like in my head, my I always boil everything down. It doesn't matter if it's politics, religion, whatever. I always boil it down to money. Follow the money, follow the money. And so, like, I would be very interested if, like, the girls have any kind of, like, you know, underground bunkers full of <laughs> gold or something, you know, like. Well, and maybe it was something where, like, she, they were genuine marriages at first, right? Because 11, however uh -huh. short the first one, then 11 years and 18 years or whatever it was. Maybe she kept having to start over from scratch because she didn't get anything out of it. And she was like, that's it. I'm done having to restart myself like this. Mm -hmm. Because especially back when she was starting this, at the beginning, what the first two divorces, she probably couldn't even legally have like a bank account in her name. No, right? so, she wouldn't have been able to. No. So how do you start over from that? And And maybe that just finally jaded her. And she said, I'm not marrying for love anymore. Well, and so, I mean, it explains also, though, so you figure she's in her 20s, so she was cute, right? So right. even with kids, she was still able to hook a man within a year, or maybe she was even dating them before she left the one. She might have had shit lined up for the yeah. first three. That's very true. Because within two, two, four, five to six years, she was on her third husband already. So you figure she was in her, she was before 25 years old. She had two children 25 years old and she's on her third husband already. So she had to go from husband to husband in the beginning very quickly. Yeah. But between the third and fourth husband. Necessary. Yeah. Between the third and fourth husband, she it starts getting a little bit longer, but I think that's also due to age. It's a little harder to hook a man when you're older. It's about age, kids. Now you've got kids, you've got this. There's a lot of men who are like, uh-uh, no. I'm not even going to start with that. Mm -hmm. So I just find it funny that she was able to be charming enough to hook these dudes, mm -hmm. but their families hated her. So like she didn't have enough charm to go anywhere outside of her pants. <laughs> like, If you're not getting my pants, you don't like me. They did. The, her, the families were like, she's an awful woman. She was, so, she's rude. To she was the kind, she was definitely a Karen, 100% a Karen. Okay. How old was the son who died that she got life insurance from? Like 35. Oh, because I was going to say, I could see. And married. Did she buy the policy uh, or did he? I think she did. Because I could see, like, if your adult children are unattached and they have life, like, they have life insurance through work, I can understand they put their parents' name on it because their mm -hmm. parents are the one who are going to take care of everything if something happens to but them. But he was married, yeah. Right. And I can see if he had just been recently married, if he was like 26. Recently got married, hadn't switched everything over yet. But yeah, 35, that's. And yeah. he committed suicide. And apparently, so, <laughs> so apparently <laughs> um, he committed suicide by shooting himself. Apparently he, you know, he saw the third husband 
dead. He, him yeah. and him actually both children did Gary and Peggy. And apparently he was 11. No, he was no 13. He was 13 he was and 13. she was 11. He was 13 when Richard died, which was the third husband um, of the attempt, supposed suicide mm-hmm. with two bullets. Um, and apparently that fucked him up. So like, like, from that point to 35, he was always slightly emotionally unstable is what the, even the wife said, his wife said. Hmm. So. Well, it, it would fuck you up. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I don't see how it couldn't. And since that one was a longer marriage and he was from the first one, then he was old enough that this guy had been in his life and been his father for quite, for most of his life mm-hmm. in a way. So. Well, and I thought that was interesting, too, because the second husband, who only lasted two years and supposedly froze to death, um, he actually adopted Gary. Okay. So it was like this, like I said, started in Ohio. She went to New York. She was with James in New York. James adopted Gary. Then they had Peggy together. And then two years later, he's dead and she's moving on to Richard. So Richard definitely was the only father figure he knew for, you know, his most formative years. Right. Right when he's old enough to know anything mm. about it. And now, and now I also, it was making me wonder, like, is she just a uniform bunny or after a certain point she went, Oh, this is what I have to do. Or was that part of a plan? I think, I feel like a lot of those uniform bunnies think that there's some sort of consistency and safety net in, in somebody military, like having grown up here in Colorado Springs, there were a lot of funnily enough, it was Academy chasers, right? They were after mm-hmm. the air force guys because everybody, because they thought that that would be better than an army guy. So does it, and as third generation air force, I will tell you they are, but anyways, I right. I know I'm, I, I was not air force, but my grandparents, both of my grandparents, my, both of my dad's parents were, and he was, but yeah, it's just funny. And I'd have known a, a uniform chaser who went after army every time her first husband actually died in, Oh, I knew him. I like I, I knew, met them together. And then he was in the Middle East somewhere. I don't remember where. So I don't want to say the wrong country, but he the base was bombed and he died in that. Supposedly, I felt like there was something really weird about that. But there's something wonky about what she was saying. It happened. And she was married again within a year to a different army guy. So I mean, I- fascinate me. Being, being ex-military, I would definitely tell you that if I lived in a different time, where I was not allowed to have uh, bank accounts and shit like that, I definitely would have gone military. Oh yeah. Right. Because there is, there is a, like, I mean, and back then they didn't get paid shit. Like we were below pop. We were, we were lower, you know, below mm-hmm. middle ca- class bordering poverty as United States military members, but yeah. we had housing. Right. We always had, you know, you always knew you were going to have a roof mm-hmm. over your head. Worst case scenario, like they were going to make sure that you had someplace to live. So if I was a woman in that time frame, like, yeah, I would be chasing after military guys left and right. And once you're in it, there's also a certain lifestyle that kind of comes about from it. And we're not talking like big ritzy lifestyle, like a doctor's wife, but it's still a lifestyle that you come to rely on because dependents are some of the most awful people I've met sometimes <laughs> The the this weird sense of entitlement as a military wife and the ones who purposely chased those uniforms were the worst mm-hmm. of those dependent styles. I'm not saying all dependents, but I've known again, grew up in here in Colorado Springs in my formative years. So, and I knew several uniform bunnies. It, it was just like the, the air force Academy has a set night out or something like that once a month 
they used to, whatever it was here. And they would come in. I worked with two of them at the same time. And they did this stuff together. It was totally officer and a gentleman. They were actively trying. One of them was really pretty. One of them was the homeliest little thing. <laughs> I don't know if either of them ended up with a military guy. But the homely one would come in and she would have gotten her face waxed. Her <laughs> and you'd see she'd come into work and she'd still have the red because she was she was a redhead and she had really light skin. So it would stay for a while. The other one was a brunette. I guess I don't think she had to wax though. So that was probably it. Give That's her time. Really Let her hit perimenopause. Then she'll have brown hair on her face. But I was say unusual that a redhead would have to at that age. I don't even know. Would not. Right. Because these people, I was a teenager. They were both mm, just really probably what, 20, 21 around there. Mm -hmm. But they would, they had, we all knew, oh, they're going to go and have their little cleaning day and get their nails done and get their hair done and wax anything they have to wax and shave everything else. And we all knew when it was time for that wow. night out because we were at a movie theater and a bunch of, that's one of the popular things is all the cadets would come and go to the movie theater. So yeah, no, I don't even know if she had enough facial hair for that to be a thing. Yeah. Cause again, I don't remember seeing facial hair on her, but I didn't pay that much attention. I don't pay that much attention. To I mean, stuff. redheads being fair skin generally, if you do, it's, you can't very see slight, it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can see it, but I'm looking for it. Right. <laughs> don't stand in profile out in the sun, but other than that, That's, you're okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the white German mustache for the, for, for the blondes and the redheads. It's the, yeah. Uh -huh. Whereas you can't see it from far hair. away, but up close, you're like, oh my God, you're going to see my facial hair, yeah. period. <laughs> that's just how that's going to work. So, yeah, no, I find that whole thing fascinating. When I, I, and I knew these people before I saw an officer and a gentleman, and then I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I guess this is a thing everywhere. And that was how I learned about that. But yeah, no, she was chasing that for, I really think at the, the time frame that we're talking about that safety net and that consistency and all of that. So what she went from like two mechanics to military after that, she was like, mechanics have no job security. <laughs> well, and so that's the funny thing because I think it was the first guy was a mechanic. And I think the fifth guy, I think, well, I, there's another mechanic in there and I don't think it's the second guy. I don't, the second guy, they knew, they said, they said outside of him supposedly freezing to death. And that was her story. There was nothing on him. It was infuriating. First guy's a mechanic. And I think the fifth guy had an auto shot too. I think okay. the Numar had an auto shot. Hmm. And then they're the ones who went bankrupt. Well, who didn't have the money. She done fucked that one up. She got overzealous is what she did. <laughs> but I really want to know what all of the aliases and where all the money is. Like I want to yeah. know. Right? Little did we know she was actually a spy. <laughs> playing a 50s housewife oh that could be That'd that would be, be interesting yeah. i would watch that right all right i'm gonna do mine now here we go i'm doing the menendez brothers and this is a follow-up because i did gypsy rose blanchard getting out of prison after being instrumental in her mother's death with Munchausen's by proxy. And something that I kept seeing everywhere that you mm -hmm. saw too was great. Gypsy Rose is out. Now what about the Menendez brothers? And I was like, well, why are people equating that? I didn't remember. And I, the no. reason for that is ultimately this all went down 96. That's the year I was graduating high school. That's the year I got married. Like I wasn't paying attention to no. that. I heard about it. We all heard about it. 
when it was happening, but I, was I didn't know so. anything, right? <laughs> your, your mind was on other things. So the Menendez brothers. On August 20th, 1989, police responded to reports of gunshots in a Beverly Hills mansion. When they arrived, they found Jose and Kitty Menendez. I think her, her real name's Mary Louise, but her nickname was Kitty, and I'm going with that because it's easier. Because it was Mary Louise. It wasn't Mary. It was Mary Louise. <laughs> Dead in their den. Their sons, Joseph Lyle, 21, and Eric Galen, 18, were in the home and claimed they'd arrived there from seeing Batman and attending a food festival and had found their parents dead. Jose had been shot six times. His was mostly from behind. Kitty had been shot 10, including a gunshot to her face, but her gunshots were to her face and chest pretty much, her torso. Two Mossberg 12-gauge shotguns had been used. At first, the boys weren't suspected, so they were left to continue their lives. Jose was an RCA executive at the time, so investigations focused on him as a target, right? The mob was considered, but while the investigation was happening, the brothers were living exorbitantly, traveling around the world, including trips to the Caribbean, Israel for tennis tournaments. Eric was actually a great talent at tennis. This was his future. And they went to London, for example. So just all over the place. How how old were the boys when this happened? They were 18 and 21. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm sorry, but what they're doing makes absolute sense. Well, and you'll see more that it does. Because they're young and stupid. Yeah. Their relatives <laughs> said they were just doing what they'd always been doing. Yeah. They, they already had access to this money. They were already doing all this shit. They just kept doing it after their parents died. Yes. But Lyle went and bought a Porsche Carrera. Eric hired a tennis coach. And this tennis coach was the one going with him to Israel for these tournaments. Hmm. They even moved out of the family home and got condos next door to each other. All in all, it would be discovered they'd spent about $700,000 after their parents' death. Wow. This told police the brothers might have killed their parents to get their vast estate. They asked one of Eric's friends to wear a wire during a get-together, and he outright asked Eric if he'd killed his parents, and Eric said no. It wouldn't be until 1990 when Eric's psychologist's mistress, got that? Eric's psychologist's mistress, I was like, that sounds super healthy, uh, her name was <laughs> Judalon Smith, got dumped by the shrink, whose name was Jerome Oziel, and went to the police in an act of revenge on her ex to tell them that he'd confided in her that Eric had confessed during sessions to killing his parents. And I'll none, none of that is admissible. No. Oh, here we go. So <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, you think. <laughs> it, well, and I was like, is that really revenge on the psychologist or is that revenge on some kids you don't know? Anyway, at that time, Eric was in Israel for tennis, but they nabbed Lyle on March 8th and Eric on the 11th when he got home. They were not allowed to talk to each other and pains were taken to keep them apart. Due, their, due to their ability to get their hands on money, they were held without bail. The question that arose from this was whether the information violated doctor-patient privilege. Yeah, Otherwise... Time. Right. And, and really in hearsay, right? But otherwise the confession, which was on tape, so it's not hearsay anymore, as the sessions were recorded, was admissible. If not, police had no evidence. If so, they had great evidence. Oziel claimed that Lyle had threatened him, which negated doctor-patient privilege. That's the other brother, not the one who was seeing him, unless they both were. That was the other brother threatening him, so I assume after it came out, there wasn't much information on that. And and I didn't see proof that he threatened him. And the stories all said he allegedly threatened him. So clearly that went nowhere. Allegedly. 
But the judge decided in August of that year that the tapes were admissible. An appeal on this ruling delayed the case for two full years until the California Supreme Court ruled in August 1992 that the tape explicitly discussing the murder was not admissible, but the other tapes were. And I'm like, why? Explain this to me. Yeah. No. That ruling freed them up to proceed with murder charges, and they were to be tried separately. The police and prosecution went full speed ahead with accusations of murder for money, and that's where the focus remained. But with the official murder charges, the brothers threw out surprising accusations. They said they killed their parents after years of abuse, physical by both parents, sexual by their father, though they stated their mother was aware of the sexual abuse and looked the other way. They claimed they feared for their lives, that there was violence that was purposeful on their father's part and sloppy on their mother's part due to her abusing substances and being mentally unstable. Two of their cousins backed them up, stating that each they'd each been approached by one of the brothers when they were young. Andy Cano said Eric came to him at age 13 and asked if Andy's dad massaged his penis too, because Jose did. And he uh. wanted to know if this was normal because it didn't feel right to him. Diane Vandermullen was 16 when she stayed at the Menendez home. That night, eight-year-old Lyle came to her room scared and told her he didn't want to be in his room because his dad touched his penis and made him touch his in turn. She actually went to the mother, Kitty, and told her what the son had said. And Kitty shut her down, saying Jose would never do that. Lyle was a liar. Went no further than that. Cousin didn't know what to do. I mean, she's she's yeah. 16. While some family members stoically defended Jose and Kitty, saying there's absolutely no way they would have done anything wrong to the boys, and they clearly just wanted their parents' money, there were other family members who believed the boys, other than just these cousins. Ellen Anderson was another cousin who testified on their behalf, though it caused tension between he and his father, who was on the side of the parents. While the boys didn't tell him as directly as the other cousins, he did say they told him they had no had to shower with their dad after tennis games. And when he stayed at the house three summers in a row, Kitty told him he wasn't allowed to go down the hall when Jose was in one of the boys' rooms. No one was allowed down there if Jose was in one of the rooms, and Alan was the only one who had been, was not the only one who knew this rule. This oh. was a rule. When Jose and the boys are down there, you can't go down there. Well, here's why people wanted to go down there, because you're like, okay, <laughs> that's where the bathroom was. So, But the bedrooms and the bathroom were all up this hall. Because so, the one cousin, this Alan had to go down into the basement to use like the weird basement bathroom. And he hated that. Right. So this is why this stuck out for him. When Alan was there after tennis games, the boys would run from the bathroom to the rooms and lock themselves in. And then they would just be, there was no talking to their cousins hmm. anymore that day. Right. So it was very weird. Alan's dad, Brian Anderson testified for the prosecution. His argument was that he had attended tennis tournaments just before the killings and that Jose and Kitty were excited and eagerly complimentary when Eric won. When Eric lost the tournament, he was rude to his father when the man tried to talk to him, telling him to shut up. Eric said he told his father to shut up after he said, you played like an ass. When Brian was asked if that was true, he said he couldn't remember anything about that. So, and I was like, so what though? Somehow his parents supporting him at a tennis match means that they couldn't be abusive behind closed doors. Did he think that they would beat them at the tennis tournament? Like, what the fuck? I, it's the stupidest argument against it. Mm-hmm. The prosecution tried to argue that the allegations of sexual abuse weren't relevant. The defense was able to cite a law having to do with female victims being allowed to present evidence concerning abuse and the psychological impacts. So it was allowed in this case. The defense actually had a photo of both boys' genitals that they said was taken by their father. 
The trial was a circus and was aired on Court TV in 1993. Even with the allegations, the prosecution continued pushing the money angle. The brothers claimed they didn't think they were getting an inheritance, so they couldn't have done it for the money. The deeply troubling part, looking back, was that during this time period, there was massive denial that men could be sexually assaulted or raped. Mm. This is what I saw over and over again with this on commentary on this. And really, at this point in the early 90s, rape against women wasn't taken all that seriously because the the things like the case they cited earlier about her being allowed to introduce assault, right? That was new. That was fairly recent when that happened. So this was all still being forged. And there were some strides being made, but again, for women, nothing to do with men being assaulted. And even now, there are many people who argue to the death that it's impossible to rape a man. But just as we pointed out about women that our bodies have automatic responses, so do males. And they absolutely fucking can be raped, just so I make my stance abundantly clear because this pisses me off. Disgustingly, one of the prosecutors, Pam Bozenich, stated that, quote, men cannot be raped because they lack the necessary equipment to be raped. What the fuck does that mean? I, I, what? I what know. equipment? <laughs> so you can only be raped if you have a vagina, I assume is what was being said. I don't know. On the stand, it came out that they'd used a friend's ID to per the boys to purchase the two shotguns and ammunition a couple days before the murder. They said they'd only confessed the sexual abuse to each other a few weeks before the night of the murders and that they then confronted their parents together. Their father, they said, had threatened to kill them if they told anyone. And on August 20th, 1989, they had again confronted their parents. But this time their father had closed the door to the den. Wait, 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 wait. They yeah, were 18 and 21 years old before they knew that each other was also being sexually assaulted. I thought they were being assaulted together. That, no, well, the shower was together, but individually he would go to their rooms. So they would shower together, and I don't know what happened in the showers. I would have had to go read the court documents because it wasn't anywhere. But other than that, they knew that part. But the parts where he was touching them, it sounds like, were one-on-one. And he had told them repeatedly not to tell each other. And I do have a letter that mentions it later on, too, from that I'll get to. But, yeah, they, they hadn't really talked to each other. And I imagine that there's a part of it that didn't understand because, again, Back then, it's not like this stuff was available for that. They couldn't just go online Uh and hear other people's stories and say, this is wrong. Well, and you hear about that type of stuff all the time, like uh, older sisters thinking, okay, if I let this keep happening, then he won't go to my younger sister. You could see that. That's where my mind went. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a chunk of it. Like, okay, I'm going to protect my brother. And they were probably both protecting each other because it sounds like they were really close. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have split up instead of getting condos next door to each other. You know, they had the money to do whatever they wanted. And we don't know what the dad was telling them. Right. And he may have been telling them, if you do this, I won't do it to your brother. Right. So that day, though, when they confronted him again, the dad went and shut the door to the den. And they said that made them fear for their lives. So I I didn't fully comprehend. I kind of get it. But (laughs) I was like, but you were able to go out because they got out and ran to their car, and that's where the guns were. And they said at that time they loaded them, and they went back inside, and one of them said as soon as he stepped in, he just started shooting into the den. He just started shooting. The fact they had purchased the guns and ammo in advance indicated premeditation, Mm -hmm. making their argument that they had just snapped hard to buy. On the other hand, relatives had said their massive spending after the deaths wasn't out of the ordinary, like I already said, so they'd had plenty of access to money, indicating no need to, to kill to get this money. Like they could have done that. And I, and 
they were old enough to figure out how to move out unless they weren't being allowed to, unless there was something being held over their heads, unless, Mm -hmm. you know, they couldn't, maybe it was, no, you can't have your birth certificates and this and that, that you need, who knows? I have no idea. The jury's deadlocked in both trials, resulting in mistrials. So I'm willing to bet that a part of that was because there were biases on those juries and that there were some of them going, well, duh, they were absolutely sexually assaulted and others going, that's impossible. Here they deadlock. Either way, the brothers had to go through it all again. Only this time they were being tried together and the judge would only allow extremely limited testimony having anything to do with sexual abuse. He actually like gagged it. Of those who had testified for the brothers in the first trials, only their cousin Kano was allowed to testify in the second trial. That meant 30 witnesses for the defense were excluded. That's how many people were backing their shit up. How how could the judge do that? I mean, what was the reasoning? It, who who was the judge? Did it say? Oh, I'm going to name him. Because I would love to hear about other court cases that he has served on. Right. And he's yeah. fucked up beyond all recognition. Yeah, probably ones that are extremely like not 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 uh not helpful for women that were assaulted in any way. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you bet. The argument from the prosecution was that battered women's syndrome, which was basically the extent of their defense, right, did mm-hmm. not apply to males. Mm-hmm. The judge agreed and cited case law backing this up. When manslaughter was brought up, this judge, and here's his name, Stanley Weisberg. And as I wrote here, who I think was an absolute cocksucker, would not allow the jury to consider manslaughter. It was murder or nothing. He wouldn't even let him go for a lesser charge for these boys. Like he was absolute. I feel he came into this biased. Mm -hmm. This had already, there'd already been two trials for this. I think that he had his mind made up and that's absolute bullshit for a judge. That's absolutely not how any of this should work. They were found guilty of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. The jury stated they fully believed their motives were financial. Because they weren't allowed to talk about sexual assault. Like, of course they believed it was financial. All you've got is all the experts and cops saying it's financial and they're yeah. not allowed to talk about what was done to them. It, it's, it's absurd. Both brothers were given life sentences for both charges with no possibility for parole and to be served consecutively. They were sent to separate prisons, but 22 years later, in 2018, they were finally placed together. It was the first they'd gone to see each other since 1996. Oh, my God. When they are in the same facility but different units and could see each other across the prison yard. During the years, they had been allowed to keep touch by snail mail and had even played chess via mail by sending the next move in each letter. They both cried as they hugged each other at their eventual reunion. They're currently allowed to see each other at meals and in the exercise yard. And by the way, they're in their 50s. Of course, the brothers have appealed, but their petitions have been repeatedly denied. But the story isn't over yet. In 2023, new evidence came to light. First, Roy Rosello, a member of the Puerto Rican boy band Menudo, openly admitted that he had been sexually assaulted repeatedly and then raped by Jose. His understanding was that he had been handed over to Jose to solidify a deal between Menudo and RCA at the time. Uh, What's that? No, go ahead, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I thought I think I saw something about this. So it's not just him, right? There's a couple that have come forward. That's what I kind of heard. But all I found was really him. And mm-hmm. also they're accusing their their manager at the time was also assaulting these boys. So that may be more what you've heard about. So he was 14 at the time of the rape, but 13 when this started. 
for folks who aren't familiar with Menudo, they're they're a boy band made up of boys younger than 16. And it's been a, it was an ongoing thing for decades. They started in 1977, but gained popularity in the U.S. in the 80s. Once a boy reached 16 years old, he was forced out as they wanted the higher voices of younger boys. Right. Ricky Martin. Yep, exactly. Yep. The original producer who formed the band, Edgardo Diaz, has also been accused of sexual abuse, like I said. And so Ricky Martin joined, he was 12 when he joined in 1984. They were renamed after some issues and they faded away. There was like, oh, the kids are on drugs. There was this whole explosion that happened, I think, somewhere in the 90s. I don't remember for sure because I was just scanning through. There's a lot of history to Menudo. So I was just scanning through her stuff. But in 2022, Mario Lopez held auditions and he reformed Menudo. So Menudo is back. I hope it's much healthier. (laughs) And I would be afraid as a male to like start that in case accusations Mm -hmm. came. But, okay, back to the Menendez brothers. I just wanted to give a little background there. There was additional new evidence that helped the brothers file for a new trial last May. Their cousin, Andy Cano, who had testified in all three trials, died years ago in the early 2000s, and his mother had basically sealed his room up when it happened, and she finally went through his things in 2018 and discovered a letter that had been sent to him by Eric eight months before the murders occurred. The letter actually stated the sexual abuse was still happening at their adult ages, even though it started when they were super young. And this was a surprise to people. So apparently that didn't really come up. I, so I don't, I don't know if they were embarrassed and trying to hide that part, but willing to put the other part out. The letter said, quote, I've been trying to avoid dad. It's still happening, Andy, but it's worse for me now. And quote, I never know when it's going to happen and it's driving me crazy. Every night I stay up thinking he might come in. I need to put it out of my mind. I know what you said before, but I'm afraid. You just don't know dad like I do. He's crazy. He warned me a hundred times about telling anyone, especially Lyle. Am I a serious wimpus? I don't know. I'll make it through this. I can handle it, Andy. I need to stop thinking about it. End quote. That was the younger one? That was Eric? That was... So Eric is the... I think he's the older one. Doot. Yeah. Uh, no, Eric was the younger one. So he was he was 17 to 18 at the time when he wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. Legal experts are divided on whether they have a chance to get out or reduce their sentences because at least two people came forward during the original trials to claim the brothers had asked them to lie for them. Like one of their one of them had asked the girlfriend to say that their father had abused her. The doubt has been cast on others who defended them. The experts state that the evidence is compelling, but might not be enough to force any sort of action. It's very hard after this long a time Mm -hmm. to get something looked at again. They do think that if they were to get a retrial, they likely would not be convicted of murder. It's getting that retrial that's especially hard 30 years down the line. Both brothers did get married while in prison. In fact, one was married. She thought he was cheating on her. They got a divorce. He got remarried. (laughs) I'll, I'll okay. never understand women. Like, Dude, I can't even get a fucking date. What is up? <laughs> because if you go to prison, though, you'll find Gypsy Rose also met her husband while she was in prison because he was writing her letters. Maybe I just need to pretend like I'm in prison, put myself out there and just see what comes for me. There you go. Find one of those websites where people find it and like put Here's this Cameron chick right here. <laughs> Or you need to start writing letters to men in prison. No, I don't want to marry a prisoner. I want somebody to come and marry me and get me out. (laughs) 
Eric works with terminally ill inmates and leads classes on religion. They both work toward prison reform and help those who have suffered sexual abuse as children. They have dealt with people wanting to fight them as they're both famous, right? Like Mm -hmm. this was a, imagine the ages they went in, they would have probably been really great targets and especially like talking about the sexual assault and stuff like that. It was all out there, but they've been model prisoners for the most part. One of them hasn't gotten into any major trouble. One of them has had two in all these years, uh, like major incidents or something on his record. So this is why they were finally, they kept petitioning basically to be put in the same place. And it took this long. I don't have an update on how this is going for them yet. So I don't think any sort of, there's been no retrial. I hadn't, did not also, I also did not find that it had been turned down yet. So it seems like it's still somewhere in the bureaucratic works. It's churning through the system. Yes. Those defending them want the evidence heard. So at least the world understands why they did what they did, even if they can't get out of prison. The narrative at the time of the trials was that they were spoiled, greedy creeps who were willing to kill to keep that money. But at no point has it been shown they feared losing that access to the money. And here's my thing. The way they killed them. If you're just trying to get money from your parents, you wait till they're sleeping. Like that's what you see over and over again Mm -hmm. is some sort of very easy, well, not easy, but you know, it's a lot different shooting somebody in the back when they're sleeping or something like that than it is to walk in when they're fully awake. And the fact that the mother, the the dad, it was like the, the head from the back and the mother, it was the face and the torso because honestly, you would feel like there's something oh, worth that was being anger, rage. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it says to me is that she was letting so this happen. Anger. She should have been protecting them. Right. And so mm-hmm. I can see why she was shot the way she was. And Anyway, at no point was it shown they feared losing access to the money to make that make sense. They weren't about to be cut off. There was nothing like that. The family was obviously very close and very large, and nobody had heard that he was cutting them off. So personally, just from what I've read into it, I think they were done a severe injustice because of their gender in relation to sexual assault allegations. Mm -hmm. I believe that the twisted bias that males can't be raped took away their chances at a real life and the type of understanding Gypsy Rose was shown by courts in my last story. I also believe their father was charming enough that people couldn't see him having committed his crimes and that his position of power put him on a pedestal. Well, it's only only been, I'm sorry, it's only been like in the last five years that all of a sudden all of these big wig... Hollywood, you know, wine scene. Yeah. All of a sudden, oh my God, they've been creeps the entire time. Like it's now all of a sudden it's starting to be acceptable to accept that to accept the fact that they are these people when people of power have been assholes all along, right? Right. Scumbags who mm -hmm. abuse power over and over and fucking over again. But the timing that this happened, everything was against these boys. Like nothing they were going to say was going to be believed because society just didn't see it. It wasn't reasonable to them. So yeah, I I know there will always be people who don't believe their allegations. There are still relatives who don't. I mean, they have relatives who are still fully supportive of them and back them. There are relatives who didn't believe it at first who came around and were like, fuck, this is awful. And, and I hate knowing this about like my brother or whatever. Right. So, but there will always be people that don't believe them. But I can hope that the two who in January, 2024 were 56 and 53 will get another chance to have a complete and fair trial. And I understand why Gypsy Rose's freedom is brought out cries of what about the Menendez brothers now? Right. Right. Because 
they absolutely shouldn't still be in prison. Did they do wrong? Yes. Were they old enough to that they could have found another way to get out? Yeah. But at the same time, I certainly, like, I welcome anybody who thinks that they absolutely should have made that other choice to be in the same situation and see what that does to you. Because it was happening to them from young childhood all the way up to this point. Like, Yeah, we're talking years and years and years of abuse, of right. sexual abuse. At the hands of their parents, of their father. Of the people they were supposed to trust. Yeah. Well, because, and the mother was allowing it. So, yeah, I'm just like actually reading this just pissed me off <laughs> so much. This is, It's such an injustice. So my sources were LA Times, Wikipedia, ABC, Biography, and CNN. But yeah, absolutely. They should be getting, this should be getting looked at again and they should be getting out. Definitely. So gross. I agree. The only thing I have a problem with is the is the premeditation. Yes. And, that, and that's and it's not even that I have a problem with the fact that they did it. It's just like that. You can't you can't deny that. You just no, can't, you can't deny you can't say this was a sudden thing and we just right. weren't thinking. You you found out from each other what was going on. And then you planned this at some point and you went and you got ammo. Yeah. And in guns and whatever it was that you intended to do with that, you intended to have that as a possibility. So, and I think that's the problem is that premeditation means murder. It doesn't mean manslaughter if mm -hmm. I'm remembering right. So yeah, but at the same time, there's different sentences they could have gotten at the very least. It shouldn't have been life with no parole for this because they weren't going to go kill. The whole point in prison is supposed to be rehab you. Mm -hmm. And if you, will always be a danger to society that should be looked at differently. But these two men aren't going to get out and go kill somebody. No, that's, that's, they're not going to ever do that probably. Although now they've been in prison all their lives, who knows what it's done to them, but like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. The court system just continued their abuse is what it did. The legal system abused yeah. them just like their parents had. So mm -hmm. there we go. I've done the Menendez. <laughs> I said I would in the last episode. Now I'm just mad again because <laughs> Gypsy Rose's situation sucked too. Oh yeah. But with her, I honestly don't think she could, there were a lot of ways she could have gotten away. Whereas they could have probably figured out how to steal some they money. They could have, but you got to think about it, man. Like if that's the lifestyle that you have lived your whole life in and stuff, I mean, I have to imagine that like just walking away is just, I mean, like that is infallible, in, 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 not infallible, in, inconceivable it is inconceivable <laughs> walk away i don't know why my brain is not functioning um to to walk away from that so like i mean the his letter to his cousin you know that whole like i can put up with this i can put up with it like i could see not knowing it's just like they say about you know a lot of women that are abused why don't you walk away well if you don't know where else you're going to go or how you're going to go or how you're going to get there if you don't have family you can rely on or friends or whatever then like it, it's really easy to sit there and say you could have done something different. Right. But I can imagine being very uh, stranglehold in place. For well, here's the thing, abusers, since you brought up, you know, like women who are being abused, for example, there are usually things put in place that make it hard for them to leave, mm -hmm. you, you know? And so for all we know, cause I couldn't find that. And again, I'm sure if I went and read all the fucking court documents from three different trials, I could find stuff, but I was not willing to put that much time <laughs> into it. I'm sure that there were things, there was something that 
that had their made them feel like their hands were tied, basically. You know, and there's also something, and not just this case, but I mean, there I'm sure there are a list of cases that you would probably way more adept at um, grabbing than I would. But um, you know, anytime that a case requires two or more trials to freaking like come to a conclusion, yeah. like th- I, th- I feel like every time it becomes even more sketchy, right? Like the judge did all those things like for the second trial that unallowed all the things for the second trial that were allowed in the first trial. Like it just seems like when you hear about hung juries and stuff and you hear about second cases coming up, almost always it's kind of like, like there's something else going on. There's an agenda going on underneath the fabric that is all of a sudden has completely twisted the justice system and people no, absolutely. Because, well, and the other thing was that second judge didn't allow the cameras in the court. So the country and whoever else mm-hmm. had heard all this stuff. And he was like, nope, no cameras are allowed in here. So that second trial got very little coverage. Suddenly, I think that that judge saw it and he was irritated by the, all the attention they got. He was irritated that it was all played out like that. And he was like, that's not going to happen in my court. So... Well, there was just a case recently where the judge, actually the judge is resigning because uh, they found that the judge was during a murder trial was texting. Oh my God. And making fun of, I can't remember if it was the defense or the prosecution, but was like on text mocking the attorneys and sending emojis. So you're about- saying he'll be the next Supreme Court judge? And yeah, right. Yeah. Right. It seems like misbehavior well, is what gets you in there it, now. It didn't say that he <laughs> had a sugar daddy, you know, that he was actually selling his ass, but yeah. Wow. And actually I think it was a woman, but I, I just thought he's a female you, judge. Yeah. Can you imagine being a judge? You're presiding over this trial and you're supposed to be a paying attention and B making sure shit goes the way it's supposed to go. But, and you're texting. Right mocking them just and anytime I, there needs to be a way to monitor for implicit bias like my own family has been hit with that mm-hmm. in the last two years it the, and, and there's implicit bias it's obvious and that is supposed to be judges are human mm-hmm. so there will always be bringing their own but that's why there's supposed to be a whole like balance and check system exactly and that's why it's supposed to meet with case law and that's why it's supposed to hit this established shit but the thing is, I was looking at how many times they tried to petition, like the, the you know, do their appeals mm-hmm. and just, uh, nope, they weren't even considered. Yeah. So they, they've just been running into a wall over and over and over again, and it's bullshit. So um, I have basically zero faith in our justice system at this point at all, period. <laughs> I do at this point I've come reached the point where if somebody gets convicted, I'm like, did they really do it? Like, I just don't know. seems like you get off if you really did it and you get convicted if you didn't do it. And it just depends on who can afford of a public opinion. Who can afford the better lawyer? Yeah. Well, and I also feel like when you're looking at something that happened, you know, decades ago, there's Um, almost like a collective, um, paralysis associated with writing a wrong because because writing the wrong is going to open up so much so many more cans of worms than just letting them sit and suffer yeah like you know and i and 
I mean, that's horrible, horrible, horrible thing to say. But like, I feel like that happens a lot in our our judicial system. Well, yeah, if they if they overthrew this, would they have would they have the basis to go back and look at other convictions this judge presided over? And And they were ones for men who were victims. And the thing is, they weren't men when they were victims. They were children. Mm -hmm. And but in them saying, well, a man can't have battered woman syndrome. Why? Because woman's in the name, then it should be battered persons. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like. Well, and that that is a curious question, right? Like, is there any kind of like research out there or whatever that shows all of the cases that tried to come forward a male claiming to have been sexually assaulted and that led to, you know, other actions and all of those had been like how many, not just from that judge, how many cases in general could possibly exactly. open, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Men in like, I mean, if there was a man just recently released, I can't remember, but it was like, it was like for something like a, like a burglary or something like that. Like, and it turned with a, with, I think a murder associated with it. And like, they just like 25 years later or whatever, figured out the DNA wasn't his right. Or whatever. So they just let him out. But like, I, I think that especially with something with this kind of visibility, like I, I honestly think a lot of the times the reason why nothing is done is because it's just paralysis associated with what else will this open up? What else will this unravel? Mm-hmm. And that's, that the thing is what is that, that's what we'd like to see is that that's what should be happening then in the justice system mm-hmm. though, is if this big case, it will, it will make a difference. And what you say about paralysis makes sense because if this gets taken care of, then all of these families who have been through this, right. All of the people who've been through something similar might be able to move forward mm-hmm. with it. And the question is how much of that are they purposely going to try and suppress? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Boo. <laughs> I, I, that'd be interesting to research, to look, to see, like if, if somebody, I mean, you got to figure there's got to be like a college student, a political science college student or a pre-laws college student or something somewhere that like has a running list of if this, this one case got overturned, it would unravel all these other ones. And that's what they need is yeah. somebody who is driven and determined to see this specific thing. Mm-hmm. be bur- like blown wide open. Right. And somebody needs to step up and do that. Who's pursuing that. So I guess it's time for us to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> so Cameron, tell people where they can find you, what your newest upcoming releases, give out the goods. Um, okay. I, uh, you can find me everywhere. <laughs> uh, Cameron Claire, just Google it. I'm literally everywhere. If it's, if she's got pink hair, it's me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm everywhere. I have like 50, I think right now I have 50 titles out wide. Um, and my last one, I have one coming out on Tuesday called mind to protect. And, um, yeah. And that'll be the second in the lap to the last in the series. The last one will come out mid-March. And then I have a seal book that's like crossed over in between these that comes out March 1st. Um, and I'll be in Readers Take Denver in April. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. That's it. Great. Perfect. And I guess I got to pimp some shit for myself. Too, yes, you do. Because I haven't. <laughs> So I've been on the Functional Nerds podcast recently. If people want to look that up and Ye Old Crime podcast just released yesterday. It's a super short, like 15 minute. I had to guess Victorian slang. 
one of them, I was like, I cannot respond what I feel like that is. Yeah. It would be inappropriate. So go ahead and just tell me. <laughs> like, I can't guess. I guessed the first one. I didn't guess the second what one. Was, what, what, do Why not go tell? You got to listen to the 15 minute podcast. Tip <laughs> of me, I got to pimp her. Okay. <laughs> I did hear you on Functional Nerds. Yeah. So, yeah. You were very good. Always fun with, with the Patrick. And my book. Mythstalker Wendigo Nights, my debut novel, Urban Fantasy, is coming out March 26th. And it is up for pre-order a lot of places. The paperback hasn't hit Amazon yet. Do you have a UBL yet for it? Yeah. I And I actually have a post scheduled out with the UBL. I wanted to wait until I could add some more shit to it. So, got it. It's out there. (laughs) And I do. Let's see. Now, my giveaway will be closed by then. Damn. Sorry. (laughs) All right, pimp it. So, all right. Thank you for coming on, Cameron. Thanks. I had fun. Good to see you. Thanks. It was good to see you too. (laughs) Thank you to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you later. Next month. That's right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Mystery Sponsors and Mayhem. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, mysteriesmonstersmayhem.com. Please like, rate, and review, follow, and share wherever your favorite podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening and supporting our podcast. We'll be back with more shenanigans.